This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny Cage, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. What's happening, Power Athlete Nation? Welcome to episode 84 of Power Athlete Radio. This is Denny. Today I have Callie and Tex on the line, and we're getting ready to rock and roll. How are you doing, you guys? Great. Incredible. Incredible. <laughs> like, like Jack Street incredible? Jack, I, am, I am feeling strong, and I'll tell you what's even better about that. I'm looking strong. Nice, nice. Um, well, you know what? Let's let's just kind of go with that, man. I mean, I know we talked a little bit about it in the last episode, but um, maybe we can elaborate on really what that is. And it sounds like, uh, well, I should just let you. I should just let you talk. Go into it. <laughs> <laughs> what? Take it, take it away, away, Tex. Uh, so so basically, Jack Street. This is kind of a a bulking protocol put to the test alongside a just a weight lifting hypertrophy program. Uh, so I know John and John and Luke and Callie, they're out west training together and I'm just out east and I have what's written on a piece of paper and then some loud music, Spotify, text radio, it's pretty good. And um, so I've never done a traditional hypertrophy program before or bodybuilding style. So this approach, uh, my body is responding pretty well. And I, uh, I'm sitting right around 200, 202. So, it, I mean, it's only been a few weeks. I put on five pounds. Uh, I'm eating a hell of a lot of food, and I'm feeling pretty strong. Yesterday, I put up, uh, for a seven-rep max, uh, 375 pounds for the first time. So, uh, feeling good, and uh, squats look look pretty good. Nice. Nice. Callie, what uh Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> well. Here's here's the thing. Uh, when we were presented with this with this uh, program, this new program that we were going to be testing, um, you know, John says I'm going to need you to put 10% of body weight on, and you know that's going to bring me to like 165. He says I need you to get to 165, and I said you can go to hell. Uh, <laughs> I said. Uh, no, no chance. Um, I'm, I'm pretty content with my white Beyonce body as it is, um, but I think that would be pushing it for me in terms of what, uh, I have to have a little pride in myself because I am not, I'm not competing in powerlifting. Um, I do dabble in some CrossFit and I, I want, you know, I want some functional mass, but I think I have the extent of the functional mass that I need. And so, uh, after debating with him for a good two days about it, uh, you know, he selfishly decided that he was going to lean and take 10% off his body weight, and so um, that's that's basically what I decided to test as well. So, um, you know, so I'm I'm I hate to say it, but uh, unfortunately and fortunately, it's working. Um, you know, I'm on the same uh, strength program that Texas. I'm doing the same accessory work. I'm doing all the same training, except I have totally different macros. My diet's different, and I have um, some more like steady-state cardio-type stuff. And um, you know, as to be expected, you know, I've dropped probably like six pounds now. Um, and we're we're in our 
we're entering our fourth week, or this is the end of the fourth week. Is that right, Tex? Yep. So we have 18 more weeks to go. So if you search the hashtag 22JackStreet, it's a total of 22 weeks of, of training. And in fact, I think i got to slow my roll a little bit because um, I don't want to... To, to lose too quickly for obvious reasons. What, the hard thing for me is like emotionally it's it's a sad thing when you see yourself getting like smaller, uh, at least for me, and a little bit weaker too. Um, I don't like feeling weak and I don't like looking small. So when I, when I see that occur, like, you know, it's nice to know that a program's working, but selfishly I'm kind of like, like, this is bullshit. I'm worried because everybody else is getting stronger. Like, Luke is getting stronger, Tex is getting stronger, Bobby is getting stronger, and I'm jealous. Um, but at the same time, I know that there is an aspect to it where there are, there are uh, there's going to be a demographic of people who need to know if this program works, um, given the Power Athlete Diet, and see if it can, it can be effective in sort of the converse, which is losing 10% body weight. So we also have a friendly... A bet as well, so we're all, all throwing in a hundred dollars to to uh, to see what everyone's body comp is going to be like at the end. So the most ideal body comp is going to going to win this thing, and I guarantee that I win, guaranteed. Well, I'm the only person that actually went and got to like a true test. I don't, Kelly. How did you measure like body fat and uh, measurements? I, pulled, I I stood in a bikini in front of twenty. 20 random people, and I asked them to rate me, and that's how, basically how I got. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, we used uh, so we did the bot. We did the bod pod um, probably like three or four months ago, and then in addition to that, I did a caliper testing a couple times, uh, bef- like the the day or two before we started the program, and it was the same. I think it was red like one percentage difference, which actually made me feel good that like you know those two were so consistent, but. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of where we started. But tax, yeah, you you know, tell them about your experience. Uh, yeah, we mentioned it a little bit last time. Oh, yeah, just last time. The DEXA scan, but uh, I, I definitely recommend it if anyone has an opportunity. I know there's one out in LA, and then the one here in DC. The company is Composition ID, um, and uh, it's just a great opportunity to learn about yourself. You can see any imbalances, any uh, kind of. Uh, Things going on with your bones, things going on with uh, just muscle. It's uh, it's pretty damn cool. I do pity though you guys because um, you know to see Luke and you know obviously we were at work every day together and then we had the seminar uh, in Fremont uh, up in NorCal over the weekend and like just to see how much food he has to eat it almost makes me uncomfortable because it's like uh, you know he's not super content doing it and I think it's a challenge but I think. The first couple weeks is probably the hardest, and maybe you can attest to that. Like the first couple weeks is probably the hardest, and then you sort of, you're like, okay, well, this is this is a habitual thing now. I have to get used to consuming so much. Yeah, the uh, the food definitely it's a lot more than um, than I was before. But measuring, I think, is a good thing for me because I've never measured before. I've never done uh, like a bodybuilding style approach to a program. So this is a great learning experience for me as a coach. Because, you know, I'm going to get those kids, going to get those high school guys that just they have to put on basically 20 pounds in 22 weeks, and this is that approach to do it. So definitely a learning experience. And uh, I'll tell you what, losing this weight, that's going to be even harder learning experience. <laughs> How many... I'll, be able to, I'll be able to give you tips by, by that time. 
Uh, Tex, did you say how many calories you have to consume daily? Uh, yeah, right now I'm at 4,200. So I also got my resting metabolic rate, and it put me at I burned 2,500 calories if I were to lay in bed all day and do nothing. So with Jesus. with with all the lifting and then just being, I guess, an active active coach, my job's pretty active, and uh, um, just my uh, protocol when it's it's 20 calories per pound body weight. I ha I just upped it a little bit just to kind of uh, hit a little bit higher mark because I know my exact uh, RMR. Right. Yeah, that's nice and convenient. Uh, yeah, I wish I could. I wish I had that tested, but I. Uh, we we still might get that done um, if we can find a good connection. I'm I'm sure John knows somebody, and if we can work that out for free, that would be awesome. Um, what you should try to look into is uh, universities, because I'm yeah. sure they do studies and things like that. I know UCLA's got a pretty good health sciences program, so just throwing it out there. Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah, I mean, I think though that even uh, even I'm getting smaller, like, and I know like. I know exactly how you feel when you say, like, I feel jacked. I mean, doing this type of training, like, you feel super jacked because it is more volume, and it's just, like, um, I don't know. It, it feels different, and I think it's a, it's going to be a good change, and I'm since I'm still, like, I still do CrossFit, I'll be interested to see how this, how this works out when the Open comes along because it'll really fall in conjunction with that, and... Uh, you know, like I, I've, I only do strict pull-ups or weighted pull-ups, and it has been months, probably months, since I did a kipping pull-up or anything like that. And I hopped up probably a couple days ago and just tried to just do a few butterfly, and it just felt like I felt super light, <laughs> believe it or butterflies? not. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no. But I hopped up and I did some butterfly pull-ups, and I was like, ooh, okay, like, like that was a nice surprise for me. So. Are you, Tex, are you getting all those calories just from food alone? Or are you like, using weight gain shakes? Just curious. No, it is food alone, and then uh, John gave me supplement approach. So then I'm um, uh, 5 gram, grams creatine before, and then uh, I think it's 20 or so uh, calorie or grams of protein before, and then at the same after. And then at night, I am just taking a scoop of casein, Casein, yeah. Oh my God! I'll tell you. Yeah. I would rather drink Rams piss than casein. It is the worst. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's that's um, rough, dude. I mean, just following you guys and seeing what you're doing and, and talking to you, um, it it's like inspired me to want. You know, winter's coming up. Usually in the Midwest, uh, I get a little thicker anyway because it gets freaking cold here. So it's like, man, maybe I'll put on, see how much weight I can put on in like a, you know, four-month period. And up in my calories to like 36 or 3,700, and I'm like a 195, 200-pound guy, it's freaking hard. It's yeah. hard to get used to freaking eating that amount. And I'm not supplementing um, creatine. I've taken creatine for so long, I don't even know if it really does anything for me anymore. <laughs> so it's like when I... When I don't take it, I don't really notice anything. And when I do, you know, maybe I can, or maybe it's like the placebo effect. But I mean, I've always believed in it as a good as a um, as a good supplement. But I guess I just 
it, you know, I, I get excited about it sometimes, and then sometimes I don't. But uh, you know what? Uh, you know what else is a challenge is that it's it's expensive to eat that much. It is. Have you been finding that text that you're just like this? Just is it like doubling your food bill? Yeah, more or less. I'm uh, I'm spending. I'm buying a lot of ground beef, whole yeah. foods. It's like this guy again. Yeah. But small price to pay, and uh, like now the fourth week in. What I'm finding is uh, I am getting stronger, I am getting bigger, but I'm also getting uh, stiffer. So mm -hmm. I've uh, just kind of bulked up my warm-ups a little bit and then intentionally done a lot of uh, rotation, uh, bends, and just kind of moving. So at a slow pace so I don't burn a lot of calories, but just well, kind of... Uh, yeah, I mean, that's it, it truly is a byproduct of like the type of training we're doing. I mean, on one hand... Uh, I know I know what you're saying in terms of like I feel like some of some stiffness in my in my joints and my elbows um, just because of like the volume that I've been doing. But in your case, uh, you are putting on mass, and that's going to go in conjunction with that that stiffness. And so shit, just like that's that's also why like you're going to be able to squat more by the end of this thing is because you're going to be wound up and your joints are going to be. Um, you know, there's there's going to be a lot of extra tissue there. Um, hopefully, you know, all functional, I'm sure. Uh, but even with an, a little bit extra adipose tissue, I mean, that's why powerlifters are built the way they are. Um, so that's going to be that's going to be really interesting for you. Yeah, and we, I, I should note that we we are still moving pretty fast. Yeah. So, oh yeah. So cat squats are still involved in the program. The idea is just fucking move. So it's uh you know a lot of accessory work is involved but we're still we're still being power athletes. Oh yeah. Um That's, what else? Well, I, you know what I like I think one of the great things about power athlete is the programs that uh, you know you guys are are testing that. You're not just re, you know getting it out of a book or going along with John's experience alone. I mean you you're going to try it, you're going to test it, and then so you can speak intelligently on that or, or know the effects. Like Coach or uh, Tech said earlier that him, he's looking at this as an opportunity to, to uh, improve upon his coaching. And that kind of correlates to your uh, article with the, the trifecta, the shitty trifecta that we didn't really get a chance to go into yet. So yeah. that's kind of a good segue. I mean... It, do you have like a, what's your opinion on that? I mean, obviously, you can speak intelligently about a program that you yourself have done better yeah. than just some of the other things that we've talked about, like with Mark Watts, where you know some of the strength and conditioning coaches out there currently are just kind of regurgitating this academia. Yeah. You know what I mean? And Mark Watts, that's such a great reference because. Uh, if anybody hasn't listened to that podcast with Mark Watts, uh, go go back and listen to it. Mark is from Elite FTS, and um, you know he to me um, just in our interaction, what I've seen online and stuff, he just uh, he sort of epitomizes um, some really good characteristics and qualities of a coach. He's extremely self-aware, and um, you know he's a big proponent for. Continued education, growth, and and experience, and um, you know we also talked about um, you know ego as a coach, and 
athlete versus coach-centric coaching. And, you know, just to give people reference, uh, I wrote an article on Power Athlete HQ about what, what I referred to as the shitty coaching trifecta. Um, and really it was, I guess, a, a difecta before Tex and I uh, started chatting more on the subject. It was probably over a year ago. And Tex, maybe you don't even remember this, but, you know, I always, I always threw some poor characteristics of coaching into really two categories, which were either laziness or lack of knowledge, and then you said there was a third, and when you introduced it to me, um, of course, uh, how could I overlook the fact that ego is that third component to really um, that perfect storm of just really poor coaching, and you know, what I, what I write in the article and what I truly believe is um, that you yourself as a coach can be your athlete's limiting factor and uh, you know if any one of those three things is inhibiting your ability to get an athlete to perform or it's pulling um, pulling away from the athlete-centric coaching and it's becoming a coach-centric environment um, if it's ego or if it's laziness then you know ultimately uh, you're really doing your athletes a disservice and you know there's there's so many things that you can see within coaching and within a coaching environment that fall within those three characteristics or those three categories and um, you know we've all had experiences with those type of coaches and it's just something that I'm hyper vigilant of and like hyper aware of um, and you know I'm in terms of strength conditioning like I'm a baby I still have so far to go and I hope to continue my my learning and my education and um, you know sort of my coaching persona and my responsibility but uh, you know I still we all have experiences that we can sort of remember or um, you know have observed that um, you know are so grating in our brain and for me you know I've had I've had athletes at seminars and athletes you know under my um, coaching and who were completely uncoachable and it, you know they were also coaches and that's the problem that I see is you know when we have this this interaction with coaches who come to our seminars you know that that person that person's not an athlete who's like paying you to train them and it's just you know being lazy this is an actual coach who potentially like has this sort of attitude laziness or ego um, in their own gym and that's what really concerns me and that's what I feel like our coaches responsibility lecture is all about um, so that's kind of that's kind of what stemmed and sparked that that article. Yeah, the just a, a great. I had a lot of flashbacks when reading it, and uh, I mean, just not good flashbacks. Things that I've experienced just in my in my coaching travels, just being a nomad and uh, going out and meeting and working for with all these other coaches in the world. So it was kind of a great. Uh, Great read in terms of putting these three categories on it and then laying it out so people can uh, look for these things when they are working with another coach, uh, going to a seminar or reading uh, what other coaches have to write. It's yes, this may be good facts and good approaches to athletes, but what are they missing or what is their perspective and how do they come to this conclusion? Yeah, and that you know that kind of goes back to what you're saying, Denny. Um, in terms of us testing our own stuff, I mean, um, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, sure, like you can you can glean things off of other people's training base if it's if it's based in science and it it makes good 
logical sense and it, it follows the rules of strength and conditioning or it follows everything that we know in terms of adaptation or driving adaptation but um, you know there's really there's really nothing like experiencing it yourself which is why you know I guess apparently the first thing everyone has to do when they come out to California is go on the Bulgarian and just see if you can survive it so do that and then follow the force program was for us um, after that and then we had another program after that and now we're you know we're on this this new Jack Street program and it's just something like these are all driving influences for power athlete and what we put on the site and I just think like in terms in terms of us relaying that information and anybody who's on power athlete HQ who is a member I mean they a lot of them are coaches and so they're gonna have the same experiences that we had and be able to really convey with full confidence to their athletes and their um, members you know exactly what the goal of the training is what's the value of the training and how do we get there um, and we talk a lot about implementation but like if you haven't gone through it yourself it's it's uh, it's a little bit harder to pinpoint exactly like the goal of the training and then that that also kinda leads to like another point within like the shitty coaching trifecta is just uh, you know for me we talked about this with Angie when we had Angie on but like being able to drive home the value of whatever it is if you're creating a program for someone um, you better know exactly why every component is the way it is why it's integrated on this day and not on this day why it's this you know repetition scheme and not that why it's this load um, and and exactly you know what adaptation you're trying to drive and to me um, that's that's the low-hanging fruit that's the bare minimum that you should know as a coach and then beyond that it's like how now how do I get the athlete to to um, to perform how do I get them to do it optimally now I, I know what the value is but how can I convey that through coaching cues or emotional cues mechanical cues tactile cues whatever so that's just one other layer to the coaching. Yeah, one one good point I always like to make at seminars when people are going through a warm-ups and they are truly suffering, I tell them pay attention to where you are failing right now because this experience is going to be the same one that your athletes are going to go through. So I don't want you to quit. I don't want you to complain. Identify what's going on because you're going to be in my shoes one day uh, or hopefully Monday when they implement this stuff. And one of the biggest lessons that uh, I've taken away from working with Raf is uh, the difference between a good and a great coach is training the emotional response for what you're trying to do. So it's not about just being an asshole, making them suffer, just uh, just grinding them into the ground. It's truly preparing them for what they're training for, and then looking them as more of an athlete. It's not just strength, power, speed. It's you know what's going on in the mental game. You also have tasks to complete depending on the sport you're playing. So let's prepare you emotionally to be level-headed and attack this thing in training the way you should in your competition. Yeah, and you know it's so funny. I um, I was popping in at a different gym recently to uh, because our our this Jack Street thing requires. Um, in some scenarios, you know, leg press, and that's something that we don't have at uh, HQ currently. But um, I was th this this dude there who was super young guy started chatting me up and and asking if I was a powerlifter, and we got to talking, and he said he had been doing starting strength for for a little while, and 
shit, I forgot where I was going with this. Um, but, oh, uh, ultimately, um, so watching him lift sort of in my um, in my peripheral as I'm lifting, you know, he, he told me up front, like, you know, and he was, he's a super, like, super earnest kid and very, very sweet, like, very, um, you know, looked like he would absorb any kind of coaching that he could get. He said he had been training by himself for two years. He told me the gains he'd made. He went from, he's very excited, he's about 5'5", five five. he went from, um, 95 pounds to 128 pounds. So he weighs 128 pounds now at 5'5", five five, 20 year old guy, and has never played sports in his life. Has been doing starting strength for two years. And, you know, to me, like, I got goosebumps talking to this guy because I'm like, man, like, he has, you know, no pre existing, like, uh, sports background. I'm like, this guy could, like, he could really see some gains if he had any coaching whatsoever. And the, one of the first things that I saw is that he just was not, and, and maybe it's because he didn't play sports, but he did not, he did, was not an emotional lifter. He did not have emotion. And I don't mean, like, you know, he doesn't need to be grunting, like, as loud as possible, but he just didn't know how to put force on a bar. He didn't know what intensity was. He didn't, you know what I mean? And so having lifting uh, lifted for for such such a long time by himself and having no sports background, which is basically what Tex is saying, like having that that transfer, understanding like sort of that mental aspect, seeing seeing a task and seeing it through. Um, you know, this kid was just basically going through the motions and although he felt like he was getting strong, you know, he wasn't uh, he wasn't putting on the emotional intensity or mentally um, in a spot where he could he could apply maximal force. He just, I don't think he had the concept because it was probably never required of him. So that's the first thing I, that's the first little nugget I threw out there for him. So anyway, like, you know, he's not, I asked him like, you ever been in a fight? And he's like, no, you know, he's like super quiet. And I'm like, all right, I want you like, when you're bench pressing, I want you to push the bar away from you. Like you're, like you're shoving someone as hard as you can. Like someone's coming at you and you're, you're trying to punch him in the chest. And, uh, you know, we got a huge response, and now he knows that he's capable of doing that. So, um, not to derail this a little bit, but no, I mean, Rob's very like Bruce Lee-ish. <laughs> I mean, he came out with some good. He even told everybody like we should be like water at, at the one seminar that I heard him talk. He's like, "Be like water, my friend." I mean, that's that's straight up Bruce Lee emotional content. I mean, that's that's I can, I love that kind of shit. Yeah. Yeah, it, at least for me, it makes me feel better because it adds depth to me just going in and banging weights. Like, I know that I like to do it, but, you know, I, I know that there's also a deeper meaning to, to why I'm doing it. And there is something extremely zen about it. And, uh, you know, even if I'm going, like, full bore, like, RMs, you know, it, there, it, it is extremely, um, I don't know, it just feels, it just just feels right, you know, and there's some things end about it. And so I think, yeah, I think there's there's definitely something to that. The uh, Just kind of keeping in line uh, with kind of Callie's story in the article, uh, what she uh, did a good job was communicating in a way that he understood. So you could, uh, I'm sure communication could be fit into all three of these coaching limiting factors or shitty coaching trifectas. But that, that too is a big uh, big thing for being a coach is your effectiveness to get your message across of that purpose. So it's the purpose stays the same, but it's the way you communicate it to an athlete so they understand. Yeah. Meaning like 
some guys are going to be they're going to need to be hollered at why others won't. Is that it's part of it. Part of it. Yeah, go ahead, Tex. You need to apply por uh, force into the bar for a bench press. And she asked, "Have you ever been in a fight?" And the guy's like, "No." Well, she found a different way to say you have to apply a force to the bar, and uh, the fight didn't connect with him. So she just found yeah. a different way to say the same thing. And I feel uh, a lot of um, either like certifications or books I've read, they just say, all right, here's a squat, here's Q, one, two, three, and four, and then a coach just stands there with their arms crossed screaming one, two, or three, one, two, or three, or one, 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 two. And they're not giving away that the the uh, the athlete is effectively hearing what they have to say, so it's not coaching is not just you know barking orders at somebody. It's finding that connection and then allowing that athlete to make the mind muscle connection, so the coach can see the athlete evolve and then execute the movement as needed. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a great point. Um, and I, I think that that there might be a void in the in the market for that. That could be your first book text is like, you know, just writing on how to make a connection with your athlete in terms of um, uh, communication. And uh, you you can't you can't lean on your own experiences or cues that work for yourself or things that make sense to you um, when you're dealing with all different types of backgrounds and all different types of, um, learning styles. So that's a great point. I um, actually, uh, I have an outline for just, uh, one of my next few articles. It's called Power Coach, and that's just a little, uh, small snippet from it, so. Nice. Good. Well, I am definitely looking forward to that. Um, in keeping with the, uh, the shitty coaching trifecta, though, um, I would like to talk, kind of segue into, you know, the coach's ability to uh, identify limiting factors, which we know is obviously like a huge, a huge component of that, and sort of segue into your article text um, that you wrote about identifying li limiting factors in terms of thoracic rotation and, um, you know, how you sort of uh, landed upon that as being one of the components that people often ignore in training. Uh, two two approaches. Uh, the first one it was uh, just kind of conversations with Luke. Uh, so and just his rotation is not very good, and we know he's got a history of just kind of a a neck and thoracic issues. So it could be scar tissue from football. And then uh, in that same week, I had a, a coach with Greg. He's down in San Antonio, and he has a games or a, a regionals athlete going for the games. And she was having a lot of uh, just rotation and breathing issues. So I, I thought for a moment, and then I kind of uh, thought there could be a connection there uh, between, I mean, CrossFit's uh, all about, I mean, uh, kind of that, that sagittal plane movements, whether it's CrossFit, powerlifting, and everything, it's just straight in one plane. And a lot of people are about six-packs. And six-packs are great looking and all, but actually those that tension, that tight muscles, they actually kind of prevent you from rotating. They really pull your ribs down. And they not only prevent rotation, they also, your ribs aren't allowed to expand when you're fatigued. So then you can't get enough oxygen into your lungs. And so you're, you uh, fatigue more quickly, lactic acid builds up faster, and it was just like this snowball effect. And so I called just uh, our buddy Ant down in Australia. I knew it. <laughs> yeah, he, the physio detective, and he basically just said, you're right, you're right, you're right. And this is why, this is why, this is why. So just kind of making uh, 
taking observations from conversations and then uh, applying just a uh, an analysis for them for kind of uh, coaches like us who I mean we don't need freaking PT degrees to see if someone sucks at twisting. Yeah. And then uh, just the connection I, I wanted to make is uh, lacrosse is a lot of twisting and shooting. Soccer is a lot of uh, twisting and kicking. So that shit's taken for granted. Like we didn't do a lot of uh, rotation in lacrosse training. And even when I was with uh, the Georgetown teams, we didn't do a lot of twisting because those, those kids did it every single freaking day in practice. And so we didn't have to because they were getting a lot. So then if uh, one of those kids goes into like standard training, they're not going to get any twisting action. They're not playing lacrosse anymore. So they're going to be locked down and they're going to see a lot of the same um, SOAS problems that a lot of these kind of, I'll call them sagittal plane sports, have. So mm -hmm. it's just uh, what's your athlete training for? What's preventing them from doing this thing? And why not take a look at some twists and um, movement through different planes of motion? Yeah, so, so when you get an athlete to, you know, achieve what you would – and I'm sure it's a never-ending battle to, to achieve pretty decent thoracic rotation. And actually, let me ask you this first. Would you, would you say that it's, you have more rotation to one side than you would the other side? Uh, depends. So say, uh, kind of going to our conversation with the last podcast, say I'm a baseball player, I only swing right-handed. Mm -hmm. So I have a little bit more uh, mobility towards that left side because that's just my follow-through for thousands of swings in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. So it depends on the athlete uh, and uh, their sporting background. Do you think that um, you know after you get someone to go through decent mobility work and you're you're challenging, um, maybe not challenging, but you're uh, I guess assessing thoracic rotation? Is there a point at which you'd want to strengthen thoracic rotation? Uh, yeah, so just uh, just like we often talk about, increased mobility means decreased stability. Increased stability means decreased mobility. So it's is what is required of the task they have to complete, and say a lack of mobility is preventing them from uh, it's affecting their breathing. So then we have to kind of sacrifice some stability to increase that mobility. Uh, so it it all depends again. I hate to couch the question with what are you training for, mm -hmm. but that's the best approach, and it, there is no blanket answer for that. Um, but, again, that's the job of the coach. Don't be a shitty coach. Identify not what worked for you or what you think will do. Uh, break down, like said, principle, what this athlete's training for, and then what's going to prevent them from succeeding at that sport. All right, now let's attack that limiting factor. Yeah. Do you have you ever seen uh, an athlete with like hyper thoracic rotation? Uh, yeah, a lot of uh, just females. So at that point, it's uh, let's increase the stability. And again, uh, injuries. I mean, internal rotation in your shoulder or uh, that hyper rotation isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just when it's applied to a force and someone puts them into internal rotation, or someone forces them into even farther uh, sex. Excessive rotation, that that's when the injuries occur. Mm -hmm. So if we can lock them down and then create uh, capacity to rotate in control that far and then return to a proper position, whether that's bending the spine laterally, um, flexion extension, or just kind of a straight up twisting uh, with yeah. the neck included. 
So one thing I will add, if you're working rotation or lateral flexion extension of the spine, the neck is part of the spine. So if I lean as far as I can to the left, I better get my left ear to my left shoulder the best I can. And uh, I think that's a component that a lot of people miss when they do throw rotation in there. And that's so important for just preventing uh, concussions and then uh, taking care of that capacity for your range of motion and stability through the full range. Yeah, absolutely. I work on my thoracic rotation every day when I wake up in the morning. I sit up and I rotate and I crack my back one way <laughs> and then I crack my back the other way. And uh, that's that's about it. No. I mean, we go through I go through all the warm-ups that we have. Um, but uh, I mean, shoot, I think I think you're right though in terms of in terms of girls, we just we sort of have more range of motion there for whatever reason, but um uh, yeah, I will. I will agree. When it comes to Luke, especially, seems to have very limited um, range of motion there. So I'm not sure why that is. But I yeah, tell you what, when I was out there with you guys, um, Ant was there working on him, and he was just doing his thing, and he was able to get Luke to turn pretty much evenly on both sides. That's great. And uh, you guys are um, actually the next seminar is going to be down there, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Luke's, uh, Luke's heading down there with Goodfellow, and uh, they, they're heading down a few days early just to work with Ant, so hopefully they come back with some, some goodness. Yeah. Maybe we could get him on the podcast. It's been a while since we had Ant on. Yeah, that would be awesome. I mean, um, shoot, they're going to need it after that long flight. That sucks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Belt squats. Awful. Belt squats and ant sticking his fingers in your ribs. I'm waiting for Cross of Football to get like to to start booking first class tickets uh, across the world. I would love South, that. South Africa. Yeah, so we're going to Cape Town. We have a cert booked for Cape Town, so that'll awesome. be. I think. Uh, I think is that the same one um, text where we're also going to Dubai on that trip. Oh, I don't know. Um, Cape, so Town, Cape Town's like March, February, March. Oh, okay. Um, I know we're trying to do a couple, um, a couple places like as we go, almost like do like a little tour. So every time we go international, we hit two locations. That's the plan. Um, so I would, I wanted to go to Dubai, but I'm told that from our, from our buddies in the in the military, that I am not. I am not cleared for hot to go to Dubai currently. They don't want any because, emails because in the Middle East. Because I'm too cleared for hot. No, I, I I guess I show a little too much wrist and collarbone for that part of the world. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, um, going. I, I know this isn't like thoracic rotation, but um, when Tex was talking about like the whole neck, the neck's connected to the spine. You guys know how hard it's been for me to get my group that I work with, almost like the the whole group, 90% of them, to keep a neutral neck on their deadlifts, to keep a neutral neck on their pull-ups. Um, yes, we, we do, Denny, because we <laughs> see it every fucking weekend. I know how hard it is. Are you saying punishment doesn't work? <laughs> punishment, punishment happens, and then it's like, People still have tens of thousands of reps under them doing, like, you know, everything with a, a spine that is not neutral. And so 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's just a deadlift with a pull-up that you're doing in your back squat. You know yeah. what I mean? You're doing it in almost like a whole barrage of movements, and and they don't even realize they do it. Totally. Or maybe their eyeballs are looking down, but their face is like forward, you know, Where's and it? they just keep hammering and hammering and hammering. It's like, let's go. Get hey. the fucking point. Yeah. Denny, you can't just scream one, 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 two. Yeah, I'm that guy, ain't I? I'm that guy. One, 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 one. I was just about to say that. So go ahead, Tex, and give him your some some of your tips for that scenario. Uh, so three three approaches I would take. Number one, be film them and be yes. and show them. I do that. Yes, I have Damn done it. that. You took mine. Out. All right. Yeah. The second the second approach would be uh, kind of give them a spot. So I remember Kelly and I at Dupont. What we used to do is uh, <laughs> we had like pictures of dogs or something to distract them. So in their setup, they'd go down, grab the bar, and for a neutral think like dead bug, long neck, we'd put a picture right in front of the platform of like a very lovely dog, whether it was uh, whether it was Callie's Edie or one of our mm -hmm. other members' pups, and uh, we just say, all right, you're set up. Don't take your eyes off the dog. So that kind of prevented that long or uh, raised head setup that they teach in high school. And uh, the last one, what I would do is make them feel it. So I would put a grapefruit underneath their chin. And so they basically have to press their chin down on that grapefruit. It keep, it's big enough where it keeps a long neck. And then they just have to maintain that grapefruit in their chin. If they lose it, punishment. Yeah. I, you know what? Um, I tried that approach with a lacrosse ball. Because it was the closest thing there, and it what happened then is they tucked their chin in, and then well, it, that's too small. Some too. people, yeah, that that's way too small. The grapefruit grapefruit is a good size to kind of to kind of help keep that. And on the athletes, some then, smaller girls, you got to get like a, a melon. <laughs> <laughs> but then it's like okay, you can get them to do it, and then all of a sudden it's like Metcon time, three, two, one, go. There's there's fast deadlifts in it or something like that. And it well, all goes right out the window. Now we're into a whole other argument. I mean, one <laughs> yeah. Thing, we've got to be in time. Yeah, that's yeah. We, I mean, we, we see that all the time in the seminars. But that's 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 emotional intensity yeah. leading yeah. them to their level of training. And but uh, what I was going to say is, yeah, all the things that Tech said are very effective. The punishment thing is effective. But one thing that I I do all the time because I'm a little bit crass when I coach, but I. I basically tell people, you know, I, I get set up and I emulate what they do, and then I and then I do exactly what I'm asking them to do, which is like a chin tuck, neutral spine. And I ask them to be honest and tell me which one looks more athletic. Which, if I were two different animals, which animal looks healthier? Just look at a side profile, look from the front, whatever. This position with my neck straining up and my head craned back. Or a nice solid chain, and I, you know, I want them to be honest with me. And, and and most people will honestly say, definitely the second one, definitely the one with the head neutral. And and sure, that is not necessarily telling them everything that they need to know about you know the the vertebra. But at the same time, it's it's getting them to do what I want them to do. And I'm like, you don't want to look like a wounded animal in the middle of a fucking deadlift. You don't want to look like a wounded animal in the middle of your 5RM back squat. You know, look strong and you will be strong, you know, and, and, and these are things that you see, like look at some of the, you know, some of the strongest lifters and like, you know, whether you're training for sport or powerlifting, if you look at a neutral head position, you're going to, you're going to be looking at someone who looks far more athletic um, and just having that connectivity, it just, 
it just makes a lot of sense. And uh, so I just, you know, that's kind of the way I couch it. Like, don't be a wounded animal. Don't look like one because you'll be weeded out. People will see that, you know. So I, I, I will also add on top of that, Denny, I, I, uh, what's your warm-up look like? So I would put in I would put in dead bugs and introduce the long spine expectation, pressing their neck down in the ground, uh, and then maybe throw some even just push-up. They just hold a push-up position with a neutral neck, and you walk around and you press down like on the top of their head, and you try to drive their head basically through their shoulders, like putting a turtle's head back inside its shell. If they are lax in that point, they're wrong. And then put them in a seesaw walk, How's their neck going to be in a seesaw walk? Because you're going to see the same shit in a deadlift, I guarantee it. Fix it in one, two, three of those positions, and then put them on a bar. I like it. I like it because, you know, like the warm-ups that I'm having them do, uh, I, there might be um, some, like, thoracic rotation just to kind of warm up the spine, like things that I call iron crosses and scorpions. And then That's more like dynamic, uh, like dynamic hip explosion. I'm kind of focusing on the hamstrings, but throwing in like dead bugs or seesaw walks. That's great. That's great because right away, like, because I've seen it when I have the members do dead bugs. Uh, you know, some of them are able to keep a neutral neck, and I'll tell them this is what I'm looking for. But then there'll be other people who just naturally, as they got to hold it for like a minute, that chin reaches higher and higher, and they don't even realize they're doing it. Yep, because they're stressed. That's exactly um, it. Yeah, I'll tell you, when uh, Callie's pretty good at the seesaw walk, I, I remember just a couple certs we worked, sometimes I would do that press-down drill just to try to throw her off, and uh, but she was able to stand strong. Stability. That is a good one, too. Uh, I'm going to have to try that next time. Next week. Start with a push-up, not the seesaw walk, because then you basically you got a lawsuit on your hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, start with something where they have more limbs uh, anchored to the ground. Cool, man. Yeah. That's it's just, you know, I, and it, if anybody who hasn't been to a CrossFit football seminar yet, the few that are out there, you have to go. Yeah, you have to go to really understand kind of what we're talking about. Well, on that note, guys, this is going to be a shorter episode, so we're going to, um, I think we're going to call it here. And uh, I think we got out some good points and recapped some of the blog posts. So um, I think uh, technically when this hits, it'll be after Thanksgiving. So happy after Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, happy after Thanksgiving to you two as well. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, a good, good one-liner to end on is always be the coach that you want coaching you. That's great. That's I like true. that. That's, that's right on. All right, guys. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for everything. Happy after Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye.